Several years ago, I read the book Being Mortal. It's written by a physician, Atul Gawande, who's asking questions about what matters most to people as they reach the end of their lives, either through the gradual loss of abilities in old age or through terminal illness. It's a great book, and I've recommended it to several people. A lot of what Gawande says is intuitive, but when you put it up against how we generally deal with folks as their abilities diminish, you can clearly see the disconnect. The author shares the story of Bill Thomas and Chase Memorial Nursing Home. Bill is a doctor who came to work at Chase. And from the moment he began there, he was struck by the stark contrast between the confined, institutionalized atmosphere in the nursing home and the thriving, abundant life that he experienced on the small farm where he lives. After a couple years of pondering what was missing and how it might be restored, Bill came up with a proposal. He met with the home's director and the nursing supervisor and the activities director and said, the three plagues of nursing home existence are boredom, loneliness, and helplessness. I'd like to, us to try an experiment to kind of help address this. I want to bring animals into Chase. Well, everyone was agreeable that a dog or a cat could be brought in. And Bill said, well, that's great, but I'm thinking much bigger than that. I want to bring in two dogs, four cats, and 100 birds. And after making their way through state regulatory and waiver procedures, they were approved. They were even awarded a grant to help pay for it. The dogs and cats would be subject to community care, and each resident was given a parakeet and a cage to keep in their room. The nursing home took an old meds cart and converted it into what they called the bird mobile. And they loaded it with bird seed and cat food and dog treats. And a staff member rolled the bird mobile around to each room every day to change the newspaper linings and feed the animals. And while there were some issues to be worked out about what was the staff's responsibility and what was the residents, what they were aiming for was joint responsibility, just as with any family in any home. This became easier when the staff saw the change in the residents. These residents had been teachers and small business owners, factory workers and homemakers. They had been needed. Their talents and efforts had served their families and their communities, adding to the tapestry and richness of their lives. Yet when they moved into the nursing home, they were no longer asked to contribute. In fact, they were rewarded for quietly being cared for without making a fuss. What Bill saw happen time and time again is that residents unhappy with the lack of purpose and meaning in their lives just shut down. Once the animals were brought in and residents of all abilities were encouraged to get involved in their care, they began to wake up and come alive. People who they believed were unable to speak began talking, giving updates on their bird when a staff member walked into their room. People who had been non-ambulatory would walk to the nurse's station and say, I want to take the dog for a walk. A study was done on the effects of the program. 
Over the first two years, they found that prescriptions required per resident fell by half. Drugs for anxiety decreased an even greater percentage. As you might imagine, drug costs fell significantly and deaths decreased 15%. When interviewed, Bill said, I believe the difference in death rates can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. Something as simple as caring for these animals gives meaning. In place of boredom, they offer spontaneity. In place of loneliness, they offer companionship. In place of helplessness, they offer a chance to take care of another being. He goes on, we all seek a cause beyond ourselves. The cause could be large, family, country, belief system, or small, the care of a pet. The important thing is that in ascribing value to the cause and seeing it as worth making sacrifices for, we give our lives meaning. In today's gospel passage, Jesus enters the home of Simon Peter and finds Peter's mother-in-law in the grip of a fever. This was no small matter in the ancient world. A fever was not just debilitating for a short time, but was often a symptom of a condition that would lead to death. We know nothing about this fever, but we do know that it caused this woman to be unable to be up and about her work. Her role had been taken from her by an illness. The original Greek tells us that Jesus raises her up. Mark uses this word, egero, to suggest new strength that's imparted to those laid low by illness or unclean spirits or even death so that they may again rise up and take their place in the world. So Jesus raises up Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Now healed, she begins to serve those in the house. Word of this healing, following on the heels of Jesus' healing of the man with the unclean spirit at the synagogue earlier that same day, gets around to the people. And we're told that at sundown, at the conclusion of the Sabbath, they brought all those in need of healing to Jesus right there in Simon Peter's house. Not only that, the whole city showed up and gathered around the door. Capernaum's sick were laid before Jesus. He healed illness and cast out demons by the score. What Jesus knew and what we need to see is that beyond the physical, illness bears a social cost. Not only is a person unable to earn a living or to contribute to the well-being of a household, but their ability to take their proper role in the community, to be honored as a valuable member of the household, is taken from them. Due to the holiness laws, those who were sick or suffering from some other form of diminished ability were often bracketed off from the rest of the community. They were labeled unclean and were excluded from normal communal activities and roles. Peter's mother-in-law is an excellent case in point. She is an aging woman living in her son-in-law's home. She gets up each day wondering, who needs me? Perhaps she feels she is in the way. 
She wants to be useful. So she's taken on the role of host, of extending hospitality within the home. Cut off from this role by illness, she's unable to do that which integrates her into the household, into the community. She's unable to do that which gives her life meaning. Jesus restores her to this role and gives her back her life. Jesus' healing is about restoration to community and restoration to calling or role. Life without a community and a calling is bleak indeed. In Being Mortal, Bill Thomas says, our diminished abilities are not soul-killing if we see ourselves as part of something greater, a family, a community, or I would add, a people of God. He goes on, our desire is to help people in a state of dependence sustain the value of existence. Isn't this exactly what Jesus is offering in our gospel passage? Any of us who've been seriously ill understand the joy of simply participating in the ordinary aspects of life. Jesus' ministry involves restoration of those cut off from their roles and their communities. Sometimes this restoration means that our lives, our callings, our roles might evolve, might be much changed from previous phases of our lives. Our restoration might look very different than physical healing. It might look like peaceful assurance in the face of diminished abilities. Yet however it manifests, this is good news. That in Jesus we are restored. We are raised up to continue to live lives of meaning in our families and our communities and in God's world. Amen.